0: I want you all to repeat this phrase after me. I'll say it in two parts. God will let you fail so that you might depend on Him. Again, so God will let you fail so that you might depend on Him. Now that we've made that statement clear, we're going to see it in Exodus 2. So if you will, keep that theme, keep that sentence in mind, even as we stand. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning. As we read the story of Moses, but not exactly a wonderful picture of Moses, but there is a hopeful picture in Moses. As we read verses 11 through 22. Starting in verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father Reuel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning to hear from your word. Lord, as we have already stated, Lord, we know, Lord, that we must fail. We must see our brokenness, Lord, so that we might see, Lord, your redeeming, saving grace. Lord, as we look at the story of Moses this morning, I pray that that would be true of us. Lord, true not in a sense that we would be discouraged, but true that we would be encouraged. And Lord, enthusiastic about the opportunity of seeing you at work as you. Lord, call a people to Yourself. Lord, may we trust in Your power to save. And may we learn, Lord, not to trust in ourselves. May we see the foolishness of such an endeavor. Lord, may we see the glory, Lord, of a salvation brought about by You and You alone. Lord, may that give us confidence. May that give us encouragement. And Lord, through that, Lord, may You be glorified through lives of faithful trust. Lord, a people who will be transformed, Lord, by your word here. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, reading about Moses, continuing to learn about Moses. And last week we talked on Easter Sunday about a Savior being born. Of course, we were talking about Moses, but we talked about how Moses points to Christ. We talked about the birth and the deliverance of this Savior as Moses was placed in that ark, was drawn out by none other than Pharaoh's daughter, and that he was set apart early on, equipped, put in a place of privilege, a place where he would have opportunity To serve and to lead God's people out of slavery. Moses is that deliverer that we knew that God's people needed. However, what we read in today's text, it may seem that there's a setback in this promise of deliverance. But I want us to see this morning that this setback is actually the means of God's will to accomplish his task so that Moses would be the leader that they needed. And that the nation of Israel would receive the redemption and the rescue that they truly needed. So their first point, I want us to just look at Moses. He was the privileged prince. And you you think about Moses, and I've got an enemy up here, a wasp. So Moses, he wasn't oblivious to this privileged position that he held. He knew who he was. He knew the privileges that he had, but even still he knew he had this special role because he was a privileged prince, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now royalty in Egypt was, they were a class above, classes above any commoner, much less the Hebrews who were slaves, they were foreigners. So Moses has this grand transformation, this this bridge so to speak, from going from the lowest to the highest. He has all this position. He has power. He's had education. He's been taught the languages of Egypt and no doubt foreign nations. He's been taught diplomacy. He's been taught the philosophy of the day. He's also been taught the culture of the day. And you see, there's, there's probably a side to this where Moses being taught the culture of the day in his privileged position he probably thought a little highly of himself. But we also see Moses had some reason to think pretty highly of himself. Look at him. He was able to take out a taskmaster himself. He put fear in the eyes of others. He takes over and puts fear in later on in the story. The the Midianites who were uh, seeking to take away and keep the Midianite priest's daughters. Including Zipporah from watering their flocks. Moses was impressive. But that wasn't what God desired in a leader. See, Moses was a privileged prince. But he fails spectacularly in his first attempt at using his power and his influence. You see, Moses should have realized his privilege did not come from anything in himself. His privilege, his position, it came from God's divine rescue. As he turns the evil acts of Pharaoh against Pharaoh by using Pharaoh's own daughter to make him and put him in this position that he finds himself. We see that God is the one who delivers Moses through the actions of those unnamed women last week. God is the one who delivered Moses and places him in that position. And with no logical reason for how this would have come about. God is the deliverer. God is the provider in this story. But then look at Moses' actions. Moses, he comes out. He looks at his people. It says when he was grown up, so we see he has reached a level of maturity, and as we're going to read in Acts 7, it says that he was 40 years old. So it's not like he was just some young, young gun, crazy, ambitious guy that just needed to mature a little bit. I mean, he was, a, he was a full-grown adult man. But what does he do? He went out to his people, so he does identify with them. He looks upon their burdens, and he sees one of his people being beaten. So he has compassion on his people. He sees the Hebrews, his fellow Hebrew, being beaten by a taskmaster. And he decides that he needs to take action. So undoubtedly, his compassion for this man would have come from the upbringing in his own family home. Remember, the story left us off that Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, but that his own mother nursed him and raised him for the first few years of his life. So he would have been had a strong relationship with his own family. We see that he knows Aaron, he knows Miriam later on, so he has this connection that he's maintained, that this relationship continues on. And in effect, Moses, he's a man of two countries, of two people. But when he sees his people, he desires to take action to free them. No doubt he knew the promises he knew the stories, the promises that his family would have told. That as he sat around with his people, he would have heard the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He would have known that God was going to deliver his people. And he knew his privileged position. And it probably wasn't just him who said, Maybe you're the one. But Moses said, I, Okay, I, here's opportunity. So we have to ask if he was privileged in this position, if God had delivered him right here, to right there, to be in this place where he had the power, he had the influence, he had the strength to take out literally, because he goes to beat this man and it ends up killing him. Does he have is he not the deliverer that God had promised? So how are we going to answer this question? Was he not right in his action to defend this fellow Hebrew? Was he not just in taking the life in the defense of a fellow man? This is a difficult question to answer, and I think it would be really hard to answer this, but thankfully we've been given two different New Testament accounts of Moses' life, and specifically this event. I'm going to have on the screen here Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, so we know this category. So how does the author of Hebrews talk about this? He says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. So the author of Hebrews makes it clear to us that Moses understood the sacrifice that he was going to make. That he identified rather than with his privileged upbringing in the house of not his people, he would identify with his people even if it meant suffering. And this is positive. This is good. Moses realizes what's right. He knows the promises of God. So this is a good picture, a positive picture that the author of Hebrews says. Now, what about Acts 7? So Stephen, so Stephen, one of the first deacons of the New Testament church, when he's put on trial, he gives this great exposition of Scripture going back to the history of Israel and how they came about. And when he gets to Moses, he says this. He says, at this time, Moses was born, Acts 7, verse 20, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Seeing one of them being wronged, he defended, defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now he supposed... at this retort Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons so we've got these two new testament accounts and Moses is the person his legacy is portrayed positively in both of these accounts right so we we see a positive portrayal of Moses but his actions aren't necessarily condemned here but they're not, not, not his action is not exactly praised there's a problem with his action now if we look back to the culture of the time because of Moses's position he may have been just and probably would not it says Pharaoh sought to kill him but Pharaoh probably didn't seek to kill him because he killed a man Pharaoh sought to kill him because he killed an Egyptian who was defending a Hebrew because Pharaoh had a plan in place to get rid of all of the Hebrews. Moses may not have even been wrong necessarily because the law of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, lex talionis, which was the law of the land of the day, retaliation, he would have been just in by, by protecting the life of another man and killing the other man. But see, we see little hints in the story. Moses... What does he do before he takes action? He says he saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew, and what does he do? He looks this way, that way. He wants to make sure nobody sees what he's about to do. So we see there's already an action where he's not proud of what he's about to do. And if he's not proud of what he's about to do, he at least knows what he's about to do is going to have ramifications that he cannot let get out. So he looks around and then hides the body. So Moses, clearly, something is going on here. He's positively, he has the desire, a good desire, to protect his own people. But he's doing it in a means that's not correct that could be wrong and i think as we see the story work itself out we see what exactly is wrong with his action we saw that moses he could have joined the oppression of egypt on the nation of israel but he takes the right side he stands up for justice But he takes the action upon himself. You see, Moses, in many senses, as we looked last week, he is like Christ. We see the positive in Moses in this story in that he leaves his privileged position, humbles himself to be among his people so that he might save them. But here's the thing. Moses is not God. Moses is a sinful human being just like us. This is a, a big however. You see, the people of God they needed rescue, but they didn't just need rescue from oppression. They needed rescue from sin. You see, Moses' mistake was not just that he thought too highly of himself. It's cause that he thought too little of God. It wasn't that he just thought too highly of himself, he thought too little of God he thought, and rightly thought, that he was supposed to be the one who led Israel out of slavery. But when he tried to do it, he tried to do it through his own means, through his own power, and it ended in disaster. Kent Hughes, and his comparison, shows how this was evidenced and how Moses looked around. If, he was looking around waiting for someone to step in. He wasn't just looking around for to make sure no one saw. He was assuming that God was not watching out for his own people. Moses, by taking this action, says, Look, somebody's got to take action. Might as well be me. But God had promised Abraham that he would deliver his people. So what's going on here? Why is Moses this action he has a right desire. He knows his position. He knows the promises, but he takes the action upon himself. Why is this wrong? I'll say this to quote from Kent Hughes God wanted to make sure that his people would be saved for his glory. When salvation finally came, it would not be through the strength of any man, but through the power of God alone. The problem, of course, isn't just with Moses' means, but we see why this is wrong. The response the next day, after Moses' first attempt, was not for the Israelites to come together and unite. So he goes the next day, and he sees two Hebrew brothers fighting. Their response isn't to say, oh look, here's our Savior. Here's our Deliverer. Here's the one who's going to take us from out under the oppression of the Egyptians. No, what's their response? They say, Who made you prince over us? And we see that one man was in the wrong. It wasn't just two equals fighting. It was an an Israelite oppressing another Israelite. So what was really the problem? You see, they didn't just need freedom from oppression from Egypt. It wasn't just the oppression of the Egyptians that was enslaving the Israelites. Their own sin was enslaving them. Their hatred for one another was enslaving them. Moses, in his own power, couldn't rescue them out of the slavery of Egypt, much less could he rescue them out of the slavery that they had to sin. Moses' attempt at justice was cut short because he was trying to do something within himself, within his own power. And what God wanted Moses to know is that he could not make himself right or lead the people of Israel rightly apart from the divine power of God. God would lead His people out of Israel, and He would do so through an extraordinary display of His power so that there would be absolutely no question who it was that led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Now how does He do that? He does that through the ten plagues that come through. He He shows that Pharaoh and Egypt, the most powerful country and the most powerful king in the world, had nothing on God. See, Moses' attempt was a clandestine attempt to try to revolt against the Egyptians. Because even Moses, at least in the back of his head, realized it wasn't going to work well for him to just say, Let's go! So Moses' attempt, it's cut short, but we've got to see it's cut short by the grace of God. God allows Moses to fail so that he can know what the true deliverer looks like. See, God still desired to use Moses. God was going to use Moses. Moses had to pay the earthly consequences for his disobedience. And as a prince of Egypt, like we said, he could have had recourse to probably avoid prosecution, but he had outed himself as a man of God, a man who was going to seek to deliver Israel. So Pharaoh went after him. So Moses flees. Moses knew that there was no chance of any kind of covert rebellion. So he loses hope. He gets out of there. He goes to Midian. We see he goes to Midian. He runs from Pharaoh. And you'd almost think that the story is just going to end there. But there's hope in this story. See, God allows Moses to fail because he wants Moses to see who is really going to deliver Israel he allows Moses to fail. he goes into exile in Midian. But even there, Moses still hasn't lost the identity of a rescuer and a redeemer, has he? We see that he came, he sits down by a well. And then we see that the seven daughters of the priest of Midian, they come to fill the tribes of water, to water their father's flock. And then we see that there's other shepherds who come and they want to drive them away And Moses sees an oppressed people again, and he stands up for them. Now we're not told Moses doesn't seem like he goes and kills these other shepherds, but he stands up and defends these women. So Moses still has this idea. This hasn't left him, because I don't think that was the negative that was To be portrayed in what Moses' action. It wasn't wrong that he desired to lead people away and out of oppression, but it was wrong because he wanted to do so through his own means. It was wrong that he desired to lead the people, the nation of God, out of slavery, out of oppression, but he wanted to do it through his own means when God had promised to Abraham that he would deliver his people. We see Moses take action against These evil shepherds, these people who are trying to oppress them. And we see that Moses is actually rewarded for it. Moses meets his wife. Moses has a son. God blesses his efforts even there. But he's yet to fulfill his created purpose. So what's going on? I think that these are two contrasting stories that we are to read together because we see the significance that it is God who will rescue His people. It's not wrong that Moses desired to to pursue justice. He may not have even been wrong in killing that Egyptian taskmaster. But it was wrong for Moses to think that he could lead the people of Israel, apart from the divine power of God to fulfill His promises to His people. So we see that this contrast shows us that Moses had the right attitude, the right mindset, but he had failed to see that it was God who must deliver His people. And as an example of a support, a reason for us to take this position that God desired for Moses to fail so that Moses might depend on him, see the response that Moses has at the end of Exodus so when we go through we jump way ahead Moses goes and speaks to Pharaoh the ten plagues happen Moses leads them out of Egypt he leads them through the Red Sea through the wilderness they're given the law and then what happens in Exodus 32 does anybody remember it's the golden calf episode God is hes the people have agreed to his covenant stipulations they rebel because Moses is absent because he's on the mountain with God. Aaron, Moses' brother, creates a golden calf, which he'll try to say just appeared out of the fire later. But Aaron leads the people astray and they start worshiping a man-made idol. God in his wrath, in Exodus 32, we see this statement, God says to Moses, because Moses has learned his lesson at this point. And this is grace that God taught him, the lesson that he learned in chapter 2. See, the Lord says to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, And said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. You, Moses. He says, I'm done. They've continued to rebel. After all that I've done for them. God says, I'm going to destroy them. I'll make a nation out of you, Moses. But what does Moses do? Moses implored the Lord his God and said, "Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? With great power and with a mighty hand. Moses says, Lord, you brought them out of Egypt. See, Moses had been humbled to the point he recognized it wasn't going to be him that delivered them. It was God in His power, His grace. Moses says, why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did He bring them out? To kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger. Relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. What does Moses do? Does God need reminded of the promises? No, God knows the promises. But he let Moses suffer, fail, be forced into exile, so that Moses would depend on God and God's power for the deliverance of the people. And that when Moses, who is called to lead the people of Israel, not only out of Egypt, but through the wilderness, Moses would remember the promises that God made. And Moses would trust on God's grace Say, Lord, I know you are gracious. I know you keep your promises. Don't destroy these people. Lord, Lord, you brought them out of Egypt. God prepared Moses by placing him in exile. By teaching him the role of a shepherd. Moses marries a shepherdess. He learns how to take care of the flocks in Midian. He knows the, the frustrations of leading a wandering people. He's seen the, the stiff-neckedness that he saw in the, the two Hebrews that are the ones who out him for murdering the Egyptian. He knows how rebellious the people of God are. And now he's learned what it looks like to lead them but he knows it won't be through his means, it won't be through his power that they're rescued. It'll be by the divine power of God, and as they obediently follow him, he will rescue his people. God prepared Moses by letting him fail so that he might depend on him. God prepared Moses for the frustrations of leading the people later on through the wilderness as they continued to rebel against God again and again by letting him spend time humbled, shepherding flocks just as he would shepherd them through the wilderness. Moses also learned that he can't lead the people of God apart from God's plan. that they had no hope unless they were rescued according to God's promises. Moses' mistake, when he went after that Egyptian, was thinking that he could do it all himself. Moses learned that it was by the promises of God and the power of God that he would lead the people of God out of slavery. I love Proverbs nineteen twenty one. Quoted it many times. It's one that I have to remind myself all the time. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are our plans. But have we bothered to look at where God's promises are? Thirdly, We see that Moses spends 40 years 40 years in exile. And God blesses him with a wife with a son. But what does he say at the end of verse 22 there? He names his son Gershom. He says, for I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. He knows he's not at home. He knows he needs his people need rescue. He knows that his calling, his mission is yet to be finished. So Moses is hopeful even as he sojourns in exile. As we'll see in the chapters to come, we see how God will call him to lead the people of Israel but to lead them out through the power and the might of God not through the power and might of Moses. See this 40 years that Moses spends. We see another 40 years, not years, we see 40 days. Christ, he spends 40 days tempted in the wilderness. See, here's the difference. We saw that it wasn't just the oppression of Egypt that the people of Israel needed rescue from. We saw it was their own sin that they needed rescue We saw that God wasn't going to let Moses be the one who rescued them from oppression. For he had promised to rescue through his power. And we see that it is by his might he calls the nation of Israel out of Egypt and to the promised land. Even still in the midst of Exodus we know the story that we see the sacrificial system set up. Because God calls his people to be his people but they are a sinful people in need of Redemption. In need of reconciliation. But just like Moses couldn't do, couldn't rescue the nation of Israel by himself, the people of Israel can't rescue themselves from the sin that has enslaved them. So we see Moses prepared for 40 days. We see Christ tempted for 40 years, Christ tempted for 40 days. But see, Jesus wasn't in need of change. He he didn't need to change to be the leader that could have led God's people out from under oppression. Even though the disciples, as we've learned in the Gospel of John, that's what they thought Jesus was going to do. They thought that Jesus was going to lead them out from the oppression of Rome. And Jesus had all the qualities, all the power to lead them out from under that oppression. But see, it wasn't oppression from Rome that the people of God needed rescue from. It wasn't the oppression of even the Jewish leaders. It wasn't their economic condition. It wasn't the persecution that they faced. They needed rescue from their sin. Jesus could have destroyed every power and ruled over men, but men would have still been under bondage. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days to be tested by temptation and he was being tested by the real oppressor of men. He came out having overcome that temptation and was prepared to lead the people of God through his own exodus. That exodus that went through the cross. We saw... in the story of Moses in Exodus 2, that he wasn't just delivering the people of Israel from Egypt, but through God's plan, God was using him, and through the nation of Israel, through the tribe of Judah, through the descendant of David, the real rescuer who would free them from sin. Moses' time in the wilderness taught him what it would look like to lead the people of God, It would look like to look as God, as Deliverer, and as Savior. So what does this, how does this apply to us? I think one, we've got to see the glory of God in salvation. That it is by His might that He has made possible salvation and rescue from sin as we look at Moses and we look at his life, his actions specifically in this text, we also should be encouraged. There's no better education than the crucible of humiliation. There's no better education than the crucible of humiliation. You cannot save yourself. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and become a better person. And then become a Christian. You need rescue from your sin. And only God can do that. And He has done it through His Son. He's calling for us not to do, but to trust in Him. And He will transform our lives as He rescues us from the bondage to sin. Gives us new hearts, new desires, and a love for Him and His will, His way. And we will live according to His promises. God desires humble hearts that trust in Him and His promises. So there's no better way to learn that than to be humbled. And sometimes God has to radically humble us. But know this, He's humbling us so that we might trust in Him and not ourselves. Secondly, there's no greater deliverer than God Himself. Moses desired the right thing. But because he desired to do it through his own means, he desired the wrong thing. God Himself will deliver us. He calls on us to trust in Him and what He has done. And He has kept every one of His promises. When He first promises to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15 that your offspring will crush the serpent's head. When He promises to Abraham that you will have a family, you will have children, and you will become a nation, and all the nations will be blessed by you, be blessed in you. When He makes the same promise to Isaac, when He makes the same promise to Jacob, When He says to them, Your nation, they will go into exile. You will suffer. But I will deliver you. God allowed that suffering so that their only hope would be Him and Him alone. He allowed the nation of Israel to be humbled so that they might see Him as their deliverer. He allowed Moses to be humbled. So that he would lead the people by pointing to God who delivered and not himself. This should teach us to humble ourselves. This should teach us to trust in God for he keeps his word. So stop thinking that you can do enough to please God. Instead, trust in Christ and His promises. And there you'll find life. Paul says in Titus, this great gospel nugget, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness of By His grace, we are saved. By His grace, we are rescued. Let's trust in Him and His promises today and every day forward. When we trust in God's promises, we will see Him delivered. We will see the power of God revealed. So let's trust in Him and not ourselves. Let's pray.